Welcome to the Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras podcast. I'm Ben Collins. This podcast takes an entertaining and informative look at some of the inspiring and humorous stories of India's Vedic tradition, followed by recordings of Vedic and other mantras being chanted by traditional Brahmin priests. Show notes and other materials can be found at puja.net, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T. Thanks for joining us. This week we're going to talk about Atarva Veda, the fourth and the last Veda in our series. The Atarva Veda is certainly the most controversial of the Vedas because of its content containing many mantras and rituals. And of course, to those who aren't familiar with mantras, it may seem that this is the Veda of magic. The Atarva Veda is unique in many ways. Uh, it's a practical Veda, and it's the first text to mention many different things in human thought. For example, the Tarva Veda deals with medicine in a very sophisticated way by identifying disease coming from germs and prescribing herbal-based antibiotic treatments for it. The Veda has also extended sections dealing with warfare and contains rec- techniques for poisoned arrows, traps, and using bugs to spread disease. It also contains the first Vedic reference to iron being used as a metal. Of course, the specialty of the Vedas are mantras and rituals, and in Atarva Veda there are some very interesting ones, specifically dealing with the destruction of enemies. And in the great epic, the Mahabharata, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, is a part of that. The uh, mantras and and magical weapons uh, wielded by Arjuna and his uh, brothers, the other Pandavas, are from the Atarva Veda. As with all the Vedas, it's difficult, if not impossible, to arrive at an authoritative dating, Usually you see around 600 B.C., but there are astronomical references to the constellation the Pleiades occupying the spring equinox in Atarva Veda, which it did around 2,200 years B.C. So I think it's safe to say that it is incredibly old, although how old we obviously don't know or can't know with any certainty. The text of Atarva Veda is very interesting, although without special training in its use, it's obviously not of much value. And there's a great story in this regard. Uh, there once was a king and a rishi who were sitting and talking about spiritual matters. The king asked the rishi to explain the power of mantra. And specifically, the king wanted to know why, in spite of knowing many mantras, they seemed to have no power for him. The rishi smiled and looked at the king's guard while pointing at the king and said, Seize him! Well, the guard, of course, didn't move a muscle. Now the rishi said to the king, You say the same thing. So the king pointed at the rishi and says to his guard, Seize him! And of course the guard stepped forward towards the rishi until the king told him to stop. You see, said the rishi, you and I said exactly the same words to the same person. Yours had power and mine had none. Like that, a mantra has to be empowered before it will be effective. So in the Atarva Veda, right from the beginning, there are mantras intended to treat fevers and coughs and a variety of diseases, Interestingly, including baldness and impotence. And with all mantras, they operate on a level separate from their meaning, so there's another dimension to this knowledge that is not accounted for in the academic translations and transliterations that are available to us. Furthermore, it's easy to ascertain the intention of the mantra even just by reading the translation, and they show that even two or maybe three thousand years ago, the concerns and desires of daily life weren't all that much different from what they are now. So the baldness mantra is translated as follows. Make the old hair firm, make the new ones spring out, which are yet unborn. 
make longer the already growing ones? The hair that used to be measured with fingers, may it become so long as to be measured with outstretched arms. May black hair spring all over your head and grow like reeds. Even romance enters the scene, and of course, how could it not? This mantra is for a young girl to use on her intended, and it includes the phrase repeated after each of the four verses of the mantra, Let him wail for me. One of the verses is, O cloud-bearing winds, make him crazy. O fire divine, may you make him crazy. Let him wail for me. And, of course, all things being equal, there is a mantra for a man. I draw your mind to me as a stallion draws the female horse to his side. Like a stalk of green grass torn by the wind, so may thy mind twine itself to me. Like the vine embracing the trees on all sides, may you embrace me and be loving towards me. And, of course, a version for a father wanting a husband for his daughter. The Sustainer Lord upholds the earth, the Sustainer Lord upholds the sky and also the sun. May this Sustainer Lord also grant to this girl a husband such as she desires according to her wish. And there are beautifully poetic mantras for the wedding ceremony that bless the fortunate bride and groom. How wonderfully divine and also realistically human they are when they say, May both of you accumulate rich wealth. O Lord, make the husband dear and pleasant to her. Let the husband speak so sweetly to her. What attractiveness there is in dice, and what attractiveness there is in wine, and what attractiveness there is in children. With that attractiveness may you invest this woman. May the gold be auspicious to you, auspicious be the waters, cleansing in a hundred ways. May you closely unite your person with your husband in happiness, and may you prosper as the queen supreme among your in-laws. The divinities that have spun and woven and stretched the cloth of life, may they weave you nicely up into old age together. One priest, whom I know well, uh, told me that his father, also a priest, lived in a little village in South India. And in the even the early part of this century, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, medical care in South India was very primitive, and snake bites were, and still are, a considerable problem in the rice paddies. My friend's father was the village specialist in the Atharvaveda snake bite mantras, and with those mantras he treated those in need. People would get bitten and then would rush to him for treatment. He'd do his mantra thing and away they'd go, cured. So unfortunately a lot of this knowledge is lost now, and in Tamil Nadu, where there are about 100,000 priests, there are still only a handful who are specialists in Atharvaveda. Now, Atharvaveda is associated with two of the principal Upanishads, Mundaka and Mandukya. The Upanishads offer something more like an applied value of knowledge contained in the Vedas, and they're very philosophically oriented. And there's one little section that I particularly like from the Mundaka Upanishad. It's right in the beginning, and the Upanishad starts with, the, with Shaunaka asking the Rishi Angiris about knowledge of Brahman, the ultimate knowledge of life. And Angiris answers by saying that, Two kinds of knowledge are to be known, higher and lower. Of these, the lower is the Rig Veda, the Yajurveda, the Sama Veda, and the Atarva Veda, plus their associated knowledge of phonetics, rituals, grammar, astrology, and so on. The higher knowledge is that by which the undecaying Brahman is known. I think this 
section is amazing because the Vedas here are seen as inferior knowledge. Why? Because knowledge, experience, really, of Brahman brings liberation or moksha or enlightenment. It isn't a ritual, a thought, a philosophy, or an idea. They describe Brahman as that which is ungraspable, without family, without caste, without sight or hearing, without hands or feet, eternal, all-pervading, omnipresent, exceedingly subtle. That Brahman is what the wise perceive as the source of all beings. So enough philosophy. We're going to listen now to a brief blessing from Atarva Veda. Okay, so this will conclude the series on the Vedas, and I thought I'd end with two selections of traditional chanting. First, the Nirvana Shatakam, because Nirvana, or liberation, is the goal of the Vedas. And I'll follow that with the Guru Stotram, which has a lovely melody, and it's just to honor the gurus of all traditions who bring the light of knowledge to the world. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
ಪೂರ್ಣು ಮಂಗಳಿ ಪಶ್ಯು ಮಾಚಿತ್ ಚರಾಚರ ತತ್ಪದ ದರ್ಶಿತ 
ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಚಿನ್ಮಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಪ್ಯ ತ್ರೈಲೋಕ್ಯಂ ಸಚರಾಚರ ತತ್ಪದ ದರ್ಶಿತೇನ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಸರ್ವಶ್ರುತಿಶಿರೋರತ್ನ ವಿರಾಜಿತ ಪದಾಂಬುಜ ವೇದಾಂತಾಂಬುಜ ಸೂರ್ಯೋ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಚೈತನ್ಯ ಶಾಶ್ವತ ಶಾಂತೋ ವ್ಯೋಮಾತೀತೋ ನಿರಂಜನ ಬಿಂದುನಾದ ಕಲಾತೀತ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಜ್ಞಾನಶಕ್ತಿ ಸಮಾರೂಢ ತತ್ವಮಾಲಾ ವಿಭೂಷಿತ ಭುಕ್ತಿ ಮುಕ್ತಿ ಪ್ರದೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಅನೇಕ ಜನ್ಮ ಸಂಪ್ರಾಪ್ತ ಕರ್ಮಬಂಧ ವಿದಾಹಿನೆ ಆತ್ಮಜ್ಞಾನ ಪ್ರದಾನೇನ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಶೋಷಣ ಭವಸಿಂಧೋಶ್ಚ ಜ್ಞಾಪನ ಸಾರ ಸಂಪದ ಗುರೋಪಾದೋದಕ್ಯಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ನಗುರೋರಧಿಕ ನಗುರೋರಧಿಕ ತಪ ತತ್ವಜ್ಞಾನಾತ್ಪರಸ್ತಿ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಮನ್ನಾಥ ಶ್ರೀಜಗನ್ನಾಥ ಮದ್ಗುರು ಶ್ರೀಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಮದಾತ್ಮಸೂತಾತ್ಮ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಗುರುರಾಧಿರನಾಧಿಶ್ಚ ಗುರು ಪರಮದೈವತ ಗುರು ಪರತರಂ ನಾಸ್ತಿ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ತ್ವೇವ ಮಾತಾಚಪಿತೇವೇವ ಬಂಧುಶ್ಚ ಸಖಾ ತ್ವೇವ ವಿದ್ಯಾದ್ರವಿಣೇವ ಮಮ ದೇವೇವಾ ಮಮ ದೇವ 